I have a great respect for the criminal justice system and the, the jurors that have to sit through. They got this one wrong. They believed his story that he was the victim, that the um, true victim was mean and abusive and attacked him and he was only acting in self-defense. And, you know, the argument's like, okay, if you're acting in self-defense, maybe five stab wounds and then run out the back door. You know, not stabbing him over a hundred times, dragging him into bed, writing in blood, send us to heaven. You know, it's just, they just bought his act. Warning, the podcast you're about to listen to may contain graphic descriptions of violent assaults, murder, and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Murder Police Podcast, The Murder of Todd Shoemaker, Part 3. Is, uh, where do we go now? If a uh, pretty, pretty quick investigation, get mm-hmm. some things back, some lab work, you got your autopsy reports and everything. Wh- what happens next? Well, we uh, just for everybody out there that's not familiar with the court system, I place a charge of murder. Within a week, we go to district court and have what's called a felony preliminary hearing where I will give up, give testimony, probably four to five minutes. The defendant's attorney gets to ask me some questions. And at that point, the judge in district court decides that there's probable cause for an arrest. And at that point, it's sent up to the circuit court level and goes to grand jury. Now, grand jury has to be done within 60 days of the arrest. So as soon as we get the uh, probable cause hearing over with, I make contact with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, find out who my prosecutor is. We'll go over the case and then set a date for the grand jury. And the grand jury is just uh, it's 12 individuals. and. The prosecutor is in there, and then they call their witness, which would be me in this case, and I basically just tell a story. There's no defense attorney in there to cross-examine me. It's just to present the information to the grand jury, and their job is to decide if there is enough evidence there for a trial jury to hear the case. And it takes nine out of 12 of those jurors to get it passed over to trial. So once that 60 days is over and you get the indictment, it could be anywhere from a year to three years to four years before this case hits a trial. And I believe this one was fairly quick. Um, so we went to trial probably within 18 months that of, is of the murder. These, yes. These days? That's yeah. Nice. So and then, then we had a trial. Yeah. And tell us about that experience. Well, like I said, Mr. Donna, I had gone with the self-defense claim. Um, and again, just the for me, the inconsistencies in the scene. He said that he fought with this 220-pound man who honestly outweighed him by 85 pounds. And if you've ever fought anybody, you know what the difference of 85 pounds is. Um, And that he only had a couple of nicks on his hands and he wrestled and got the knife back. He's going to have some – I'm not saying he can't do it, but he's going to have some severe injuries in obtaining that knife back from that 6'2", 220-pound man. Um, But this is one of those. and. Dave and I have talks like I have a great respect for the criminal justice system and the the jurors that have to sit through. They got this one wrong. They believed his story that he was the victim, that the um, true victim was mean and abusive and attacked him. And he was only acting in self-defense. And, you know, the argument's like, okay, if you're acting in self-defense, maybe five stab wounds and then run out the back door. 
you know, not stabbing him over a hundred times, dragging him into bed, writing in blood, send us to heaven. You know, it's just, they just bought his act. And, you know, it's, I, this is the only time, one or two times, I'd say just the jury got it wrong. They, so he was convicted of manslaughter. That happens. I always said that uh, there's two times of the year that you don't want to go to a jury trial, and that's a couple weeks before Thanksgiving and a couple weeks before Christmas. Am I right or wrong? You're absolutely right. Everybody's in a super compassion. I remember I had an assault first of where a, a young man had been beat severely, his head pounded on the concrete, and he uh, his neurological deficit was incredible. He mm-hmm. couldn't even testify. He he lived in a different state, and uh, I, I, I'll never forget that they came back with a misdemeanor version of the yeah. assault. And, and, and to listen to everything in the end, it was like, you have to have the mental agility of a small soap dish to go there. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, in that example, they knew that he was guilty of attacking this man or assaulting him, but it wasn't severe enough to make it a felony. You yeah. know, if he did it, he yeah. did it. That's and it. then the injuries are what they are. That almost takes it out of your hands. No, he was, if you yeah. believed he did it, then he's guilty of a felony That's assault. He, he had, this kid had lost vision in one eye and everything. It it, it was a horrible. So. Yeah, I respect the system, too. Absolutely. And, and uh, But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I told you before, and I'll, I'll just give a recommendation if anybody wants a good book on this. It's called Guilty, the Collapse of Criminal Justice by Judge Harold Rothwax. Go get the book and read it. And uh, he, uh, I, I told you before, too, that he was a defense attorney, I think, in New York. He was a chapter president for the, ACO, president for the ACLU for years, and he got on the bench and had a 180-degree turn because yeah. he, got to, he got splashed with all that reality. and. Uh, for example, he doesn't believe in unanimous jury verdicts in criminal trials anymore because he said a holdout juror, and Judge Rothwack said this, and he cites Kentucky cases mm. where he says they, the holdout juror never decides on the case facts in the case. He cites a Kentucky case where when they polled the jury, the one woman that wouldn't go with it on a robber mm. said he just looked too handsome to be a robbery suspect. And there it's we go. amazing. There yeah. we go. So guilty, the collapse of criminal justice. He's deceased. I, I mm-hmm. wish I got to. Ch- I think Ray the Diego spoke to him one time. God oh, really? So it, yeah. Uh, but uh, pretty impressive guy. But it, uh, we have a fantastic system. And we I know do. right now people are talking about reforming the, the criminal justice system in, in different ways. But boy, there's a lot of victims that are left without justice, too. Yeah. And I know it's set up. It's, it's best to let. Ten guilty men go free as sure, opposed to that. one, and I do believe that. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. And I wouldn't change that. I'd go with that. Yeah, but it's especially in today's climate, getting twelve people to agree on any topic right. is is darn near impossible. Yeah, you know, and then you throw in situations where again you, you're appealing to people's you know compassion and stuff like that. They don't want to be responsible for sending someone away. For 40 years. Oh, it's tough, especially in a death penalty case. Yeah. To meet a juror after that and what they thought. But I think what's frustrating about that is that it is hard to send them away. However, I just wish they would put their feet in the victim's family's shoes. That's what that part. does to the victim's family who knows it's just a misdemeanor or knows it's just a manslaughter when it's clearly was a murder. And in that case, overkill for, for Todd. Um, and it's frustrating. And, and I always say, you know, when they, when they say, and of course it's, it's, you know, people's opinion on death penalty or, or on how they choose the, the jury to go or, or their decisions. But I just think if people would think if that were their family or their loved one, 
would you be okay with that small of a sentence? Well, and it comes back too to the same people that we have an immense amount of respect for, mm-hmm. the defense attorney. Sure, yes. And, and that that is what they get paid the big bucks for, sometimes no bucks at all. Yeah. Um, and the ones we'd agree that we'd go out and have a drink with yeah. in a minute, and I love them to death. That's how the system works. It's yeah, and it's when I was young and naive, I was like, how, how do defense attorneys convince 12 people that this person's innocent? And you really don't need to do that. No, you don't. You just have to get one person one. to believe you, and it's That's a hung it. jury, and then there's going to be a plea, or you know, you try it again and hope for a better jury pool. But uh, yeah, no, they just have to convince one person on there that, that there's reasonable doubt, and I think that reasonable doubt gets abused a lot. Well, it's... It's like everything else that it's not reasonable doubt. Reasonable doubt isn't anything's possible. That's it. You know, aliens could have come down too. Can you disprove that? That's true. So it's people take that beyond a reasonable doubt way too literally, I believe. Do you remember what the jury came back with on him? I think the 10 years on man one. Which that's nothing in Kentucky. Yeah, I I believe he's out. Or if he's not, he's in a a hospital somewhere. Yeah, uh, they just don't stay in very long. Now, did you have contact with Todd's family or his sister who found him after that? Yeah, we stayed in contact with him, but uh, we have a great program with, at the police department now, but also th- it started with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office because of victims advocate, and they are responsible with keeping the victim's family in the loop about court dates. Um, so we're kind of freed up to do investigative work, um, but we certainly make sure that the victim's families are taken care of and informed. Uh, we update them with progresses on the case and such. So, yeah, they're, we stay in touch with them. In the aftermath, uh, thinking back on, on this case, is there anything that you would have done differently? Or I don't think we could have. It was a pretty straightforward, I thought, simple case of murder. And do you remember who you worked with on it? Um, B.J. Carter. Okay, good news. Yep, Very absolutely. News. Uh, Reed Bowles was out there. Um, the patrol officers did a really good job. I believe Officer Taylor was out there. They did really good preliminary interviews and did excellent write-ups to where I could refresh my memory going back into the case file about what he told them as opposed to what he told me. So, yeah, just, yeah, good work all around. And it's it's not odd for the Lexington Police Department to do good work. I know people would think we're tooting a horn and everything, but I never, in the entire time, I never had a bad experience. I had never, like, and I hear her, I, I travel a lot now, yeah. and I hear horror stories, and I'm like, what you know it, yeah it's got great people great i had people. a commander we'll say commander matt brotherton again mm-hmm. um we're talking just the other day about our travels where our cases led us uh, los angeles chicago miami atlanta tampa washington baltimore new york when we're starting out it's like oh, we're a pretty good agency but when you get to visit these other agencies you realize how good lexington has it i don't we are one of the best police departments in the country, and I, I say that with complete confidence. Yeah, I remember back in the day I went, and I won't say where, but uh, me and Schoon went to another agency, and we had the, the start of the murder book, and they looked over and said, what's that? I'm like, yeah. Okay. Some of it's, like, terrifying. It's like, you, but, you run a murder investigation? Yeah, but, but, you know, in their defense, it's because there's – and we can just hit this little – this spot with it is that it uh, – so much in law enforcement is is learning at the coattails of somebody in yes. front of you. So I give a wide breath. I'm not being critical of it, but it uh, the reality of it is is that if if there's one thing in law enforcement that just universally needs is training, 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 and it's it's incredible. Um, 
Especially when people talk about impacting budgets in police departments, yeah. which is kind of the thing the last few years. It's like, okay, I mean, the first thing that goes when the money gets tight in a police department is training. Yeah. It, it's, it's a la carte. It's you get the minimum you need and everything. But when the budget gets tight, the very thing we need to probably be better mm-hmm. and more confident is the first thing that goes. Yeah. And then you, after that, overtime gets tossed and you, you try working a murder on 40 hours a week. It yeah. just doesn't get done. Oh, he's just a, if, if anybody, another book, um, uh, was it David Simon or homicide? He was yes. Homicide a year on the killing streets. Exactly. Great. So book. good. Yeah. The 10 rules of homicide. And yep. uh, one of them is that, a uh, an open murder case is a, a money tree, a money tree. But I remember back in the day in the unit that the, a major or an assistant, I think Fran Root would yeah. come in one day and say, okay, guys and girls, we've got to cut the overtime back. And it's like you just whistled for the Grim Reaper. Yeah. It was like as soon as they'd say that, and I'm not making light of it, it was yeah. like, if you want to bring uh, tragedy into your community, just talk about that. Because it was like mm-hmm. it rained at yeah. midnight that night. So yeah. it, uh, this stuff cost money. Yeah. But you're right about the just riding on the coattails of the ones that came before you. I mean, think about how far back that goes. You just mentioned Fran Root. Mm-hmm. There's Fran Root. Then there's Danny Gibbons. Then there's you guys and James Curlis and mm-hmm. Paul Williams, Chris Schoonover. Then I come along. So that's you're getting close to 40 years of yeah. just good quality yeah, investigators. And one thing we're working on a little bit is I, I want to go back even further to uh, Barney Kimmelman. Oh, yeah. And, and keep going back that the people that uh, uh, Barney and uh, I'm tr- and their, their names are zipping right out of my head. And I love dropping names on here because they're fantastic sure. people. But Barney and them really go back mm-hmm. another generation and the. Uh, holy cow, they can talk about that murder where that family got yeah. killed, that preacher's family. That's a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, we'll dangle that one for now. Oh, is that the one out Russell Cave Road? I think so, yeah. That's yeah. probably one of the worst ones I've heard of. Yeah. Ex- oh, just brutal. Awful. awful. But we're going to leave it alone because yep. somebody that's in this business that we respect a lot, I think, is taking a peek at that, and we'll leave it at that. Good. So, yeah, I'll exactly. be I'll be listening in on oh, that. And it, yeah, and I'll tell you, I just don't want to hat tip it. Absolutely. And, and put the pressure, but they will knock it out of the park when they do it. Great. And they know who I'm talking about, probably. <laughs> so they do. And I'll tell you after we're done here. So he goes probably out. We didn't look probably out. I mean, the reality of it is, is that uh, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long, especially on those things. What if if somebody was going to uh, interested in, in getting into the, the murder cop business? Mm-hmm. What's a few things that you would suggest them? Let's say like they're a patrol officer mm-hmm. and they're out earning their bones because mm-hmm. Uh, in Lexington, as a matter of fact, you can't go into a specialized assignment by contract until three years, which makes all the sense in the world, actually. Yeah, absolutely does. Yeah. What would what would you tell somebody? That- well, first off, um, to those people that are in college thinking about entering into a career in law enforcement, you don't necessarily need to major in criminology or police administration. The Lexington Police Department will teach you what they think you need to know. Um We've told people to get a degree in English, learn how to articulate your thoughts in paper and testimony. There we go. Um, But once you're on the department, which, again, when I decided I wanted to be a police officer, I wanted to be a homicide detective right off the get-go. And I was really bummed that I knew I was going to have to do three years of patrol. Looking back, I wouldn't trade those three years for anything. I learned so much. Um, But for new patrol officers out there that are wanting to get into homicide investigation, go up there and introduce yourself. Tell them that this is what you want to do. Ask if they could hang out. And it's like, I got my RDOs starts Friday. Do you mind if I come up, shadow you guys? We just never had that happen. 
No. I mean, I did. Um, it was very rare. It, it really was. It was very rare. But, uh, I mean, God, if I'm a veteran detective and some 26-year-old kid on patrol is spending time on his day off to watch me and ask me questions, he's already got the battle half won. There we go. You know, just that initiative and that drive and making it known that that's what you want to do. And then make sure, I don't care if it's a stolen lawnmower report that you're taking, make it a good one. Because we read all these reports and we may not recognize if it's great or really good, but we will recognize if it's crappy. We got told that day one, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, I even was told that on really crappy reports that they would uh, hang them up and investigations. And I remember thinking, nobody does that. And then I got up there. Yeah. (laughs) It was like, it was like a mural. Yeah. And it's like the wall of shame kind of thing. So that, that's a driver. before we close to one more thing too, because you did code cases mm-hmm. and this is a side passion of mine I'm pretty interested in. What would you tell a citizen detective, a lay detective, a an internet sleuth? Because I, I, I personally believe there's space for them in this whole game. It's just frustrating oh, yeah. as to finding that because of the time and I've seen some beautiful work done. What would you tell somebody who is uh was doing lay investigations like mm-hmm. that on the side. What advice would you have them for improving the relationship with a detective that's working the case? That's touchy because, as you know, a lot of detectives are very territorial. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't want anybody looking over my shoulder, second-guessing what I've done. But you have to make contact with that primary detective. If you're like, what do we call them, grassroots detectives yeah. and citizen detectives, make contact. And just like, hey, I'm really interested in this. I found some stuff. I'm going to, if you'd like, I'll forward it to you. And if I can be of any further assistance, please let me know. And there's starting to be specialty fields like genealogy. Sure. I mean, that's, I worked with one or two of those and that's a lot of work that they put in that I don't know how to do, nor do I have the time. It's huge. So if they're in that type of field, please reach out to your local police department, your homicide unit and let them know that your, you know, your skills are available and more than likely free of charge because the department's not going to offer up, you know pay money to basically private investigators. The department has its own investigators and expects them to do the job. But there's a certain skill set that citizens in certain fields can have that I don't possess. And time. And time. I think the biggest thing is time. It's a, it's a, the, the imagination and time mm-hmm. can do wonderful things. And I say make contact with the primary investigator, one thing, out of courtesy, but two, Spend some time talking to him so he doesn't think you're a nut job. Because there are those out there that give other citizen investigators a bad name. And you have to weed through those. If my phone rings, I'm going to pick it up and listen to somebody. I always will. Um, Because I'll take any information anybody wants to give me. If it it turns out to be not useful, then I wasted a little bit of time. But you got to turn over every stone and just, you know, present yourself in a professional manner and let them know that you're there to assist. because, yeah, I mean, good detectives will take whatever help that you can provide. 100%. When do you got anything? Because we just. Well, I was just going to say it's, it's no different than someone who has a tip on a cold case mm-hmm. or, or an active, active case. Um, you know, we always say it may be that one little piece of information. Mm-hmm. And we said that on David Kelms. Mm-hmm. Someone knows something, and it may only be something so minute. Yeah. That one little piece may break it wide mm-hmm. open. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's it's a phone call after the event that you can't connect next. It, it can mm-hmm. be so simple. Hold this bag. Yeah. Do me a favor and go to my house and get this. Or can mm-hmm. I borrow your car? 
How many times have we seen that with a borrowed car? And uh, yes. can I park my car here? We went with that with the one with Billy and Paul. Is it gay? Can I store this car here while it's going mm-hmm. for a salvage title? Little things like that just, just can make a big difference. Yeah, it? and people out there don't know. It's like, oh, I heard this, but it's probably nothing. Mm. Please take the time and, and yes. call because you do not know. Or it, assuming somebody else has done it. That's a big thing in cold Huge. cases. Yeah. Um, and it's no fault of him that I've done it myself. Like I'll read through something. It's like, huh, why wasn't this person interviewed? And I'll go back and interview the person. It's like, no, some detective came to me about nine years ago and talked to me, but they didn't document it because it wound up being nothing. But you still have to document because yes. it's a, a box that needs to be checked. Yeah. I always say in my line of work, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. That's true That's with anything. Absolutely. You know, yeah, it's exactly. so important to, to document those yeah, things. Yeah, get on a stand with one of these really good defense attorneys in town, the ones that, that – uh, I've got a couple that are interested in coming and doing the show, actually. Really? Which would be neat. That'd, be, uh, I, I, that'd be a fun one to do a roundtable. Yeah. With or, a prosecutor, a defense attorney, a detective, yeah, and, you know. But, uh, yeah, we'll just get a, a ring. Yeah. <laughs> Let them all go at it because they, they will. They, they can hit the bar outside and we, we can load everybody yeah. up and it'll be, and thank God we'll have video of it. Yeah. But the reality of it is, is that I'd like to get them to come on and talk about, just like you talked about, your job is to defend somebody. And mm-hmm. let's, for arguments purposes, you know, they did it. Yeah. And uh, because a lot of people are like, how can you how can you do that? Well, somebody has to. Yeah. Right. It, I mean, it's how this it separates us from the yeah. rest of the world. Actually. And a lot of people don't get that. They think the defense attorney's job is to get a guilty person off. No, no their job is to make sure that their client receives a fair trial and hearing. That's it. That all the, the And you have are... to have that. I'm in complete support of that. Yeah. So that's not their job is to get guilty people off. They just have to defend their client. That's it. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. Well, good deal. I, I, that was fantastic. I think we got a, a many prayers to Todd's family, absolutely, uh, especially with the extra anguish of dealing with with the discovery and everything. Yeah. Just uh, well, and the sister walking in on that horrible. I had the misfortune of walking walking in Angie's, and that as I said on that uh, podcast I did on her, and that's something that I'm sure his sister sees every time she closes her eyes i couldn't imagine so, seeing a, a loved one in that yeah. state and we had issues i'm sure you dealt with this suicides were big yeah. like they can like i want to i want to see the pictures mm. i'm like no you don't no. you don't and what i because they were so adamant a lot of times i'll be like i understand and I, I certainly can't stop you from looking at these but give me four months let all go. this go by and if you want, in four months, come back and you're still adamant about wanting to see it, I'll show you. But please take that time. And about 75% would be like, thank you so much. It was just, I don't know why I wanted to see my son in that condition. But I think it's that, that, I think it's that, that accepting it. That you you can't wrap your it. mind around it. And I think it's just seeing, you know, it really happened, yeah. but did it really happen? Yeah, it's just like I'd tell him, it's like, please remember your loved one the last time you saw him. Not, not this. And of the twenty-five that percent that did want to see the pictures, regretted it immediately. It, it's just awful. I, just real quick, an anecdotal story. When I first started in patrol years ago, you know, we we find dead people. Yeah, but that's part of policing. Is either somebody hadn't answered the door, got the mail, and yeah, so you hike in through a window and everything. But I'm and I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's, it's probably personal. Somebody, but I remember one day discovering uh, two decedents. One of them very young. And I, I just, I'll never forget the idea that uh, before the other family member got up the hallway, I successfully got that door closed and got him outside. And and it was like, 
there it it did uh, that was a blessing because what was inside yeah. the room was awful yeah and uh and just fractions of a second make yeah. a difference uh, it was bad enough that you and me have to wear it right yeah and uh but i, I remember thinking my god how, how it it can be worse oh it be yeah worse. it's yeah, I'm glad you were able to spare those people. I, that. I, it just worked because you that can't way. ever get it out of your head. No. Once you see it, it's there forever. Exactly. Exactly. Well, fantastic, fantastic. It, Thank uh, you, Rob, for coming again. You always yeah. have the best stories to share with us. Anytime, I love hanging out and talking with you yeah, guys, especially with the cold case thing that uh, that adds such a flavor to mm-hmm. it. So uh, we do have a lot more we're going to talk about for sure that we want to get on board with you and, and line up, and uh, we'll definitely hit it up. So thanks again for coming. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. The Murder Police Podcast is hosted by Wendy and David Lyons and was created to honor the lives of crime victims, so their names are never forgotten. It is produced, recorded, and edited by David Lyons. The Murder Police Podcast can be found on your favorite Apple or Android podcast platform, as well as at MurderPolicePodcast.com, where you will find show notes, transcripts, information about our presenters, and a link to the official Murder Police Podcast merch store, where you can purchase a huge variety of Murder Police podcast swag. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, which is closed caption for those that are hearing impaired. Just search for the Murder Police podcast and you will find us. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe for more and give us five stars and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcasts. Make sure you set your player to automatically download new episodes so you get the new ones as soon as they drop. And please tell your friends. Lock it down, Judy.